and welcome to episode two of Expected Value, a podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media Networks, and since we didn't get canceled after one episode, we're back here with our first soccer guest. Lucy Rushton works for Atlanta United, which is in its third MLS season and has already won three trophies. Atlanta's really led the charge into what's been called MLS 3.0. They have high-dollar transfers both in and out, regular crowds of over 70,000 fans, and they won MLS Cup last year in the team's second MLS season. Lucy is one of the people behind Atlanta's rise. She's the team's head of technical recruitment and analysis, and she's been with the team since 2015, two years before they began MLS play. Among other things, Lucy works with technical director Carlos Bocanegra, overseeing the scouting department, using video and analytics to investigate potential new signings, etc. Before she joined Atlanta, she spent eight years with English Cup Reading in her hometown as head of technical scouting, and before that, she was with Watford as a player recruitment analyst. She also grew up playing the sport and won the English Championship as a player for Reading. In my conversation with Lucy, the England native will talk about how Atlanta incorporates data in the recruitment process, how they compare players across leagues, dealing with the MLS salary cap, differences between how teams in England and the U.S. use data, her path across the pond, getting more women in the industry, and adjusting to life in the South. Then Albert Larcata and I will be back to react to the interview and wrap things up. Now, without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with Atlanta United's Lucy Rushton. We are joined on expected value by Lucy Rushton, head of technical recruitment and analysis for Atlanta United. They're the reigning MLS Cup champion, the winner of this year's Campeones Cup, their first place in the Eastern Conference as of this recording. Lucy, thank you for joining us. Let's start at a high level. What does the head of technical recruitment and analysis do? or What are you and your team of people responsible for for Atlanta? Um, in a nutshell, um, we are basically tasked with uh, finding and scouting players um, for the first team, for our, our second affiliate USL team. Um, basically looking for, for players to come in at all levels of the roster, um, whether that be um, first-team starters, um, first-team roster players, USL players with potential to develop to first-team. Um, we're really kind of tasked with with identifying those players at the early stage and then um, putting together kind of more in-depth analysis and work to in the latter stages when we're coming to making, to, making a decision previously kind of or had identified or pushed to us from other sources and we can just spend days watching um, watching players at that early kind of stage to either give them the initial eye test and see is this a player that we need to consider more or do more work on. Um, other days could be watching, um, watching full matches. Um, so we do a lot of exploratory scouting um, at the very early stage where we're just watching games to just unearth talent. Um, and so some days we can just be watching games for that purpose. Uh, other days maybe more directed towards um, being specific on um, really like identified targets. So especially as you come later uh, in the season and closer to a transfer window, you're really kind of homing in on your kind of top five or six targets um, and doing real in-depth kind of work on those. Um, so say it can vary from day to day, um, which is a good thing. It keeps a bit of um, uh, kind of adds a bit of um, variation to the to the working week um, and no day's ever really the same. 
almost every interview I've read with you, you emphasize how analytics and scouting have to work together or should work together in an optimal situation. How do you uh, mesh those two things? You talked about sometimes you get sent video. Uh, I'm assuming sometimes you start with the numbers, but how do you bring those two things together to kind of try to get a full picture of a player? Okay, so like at the say, we use data probably at two or three different stages of the recruitment process. Um, the first stage we might use it at the identification stage is to to use the data to to say right, okay, which players fit the criteria we're looking for um, statistically, um, mm-hmm. and so we can kind of get. I mean, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of players in the world. We can narrow that down somewhat to um, to a more manageable number. Um, so we'll kind of use it at that early stage just to give us maybe lists of players to go and watch and have a look at and feel like, okay, well, these ones match the profile in terms of what we look for statistically. So now let's watch them and see if they pass, say, the eye test. Um, mm-hmm. We also then use it kind of later in the process as well. Like, obviously, if we've got a real interest in a player, um, we'll then start to really look into their data and see, like, okay, well, how are they performing like we know how they're performing on the eye and subjectively do the objective numbers kind of support that and marry up to to kind of what we're seeing um so it's a very fluent kind of process um we don't rely or overly rely on the numbers because um i think that can be damaging because there are a lot of things that the numbers cannot tell you off the ball actions etc and that's where we'd need to do our own in-house kind of data analysis as it were um but yeah we use it we use it throughout the process at various stages and really just to complement complement the eye and the subjective one of your challenges of course is trying to figure out how you know this player is in league x and how would that translate to mls uh how do you translate how do you deal with that trying to figure out something like uh you know the level of competition basically between the leagues um, there are some statistical models that are kind of out there now, which which will somewhat help with that, um, using certain things like ELO ratings and um, kind mm-hmm. of uh, looking at in-competition games and actually giving players scores dependent on the quality of opposition they're against. So that can kind of provide somewhat some kind of direction. But a lot of it has to do really with... Um, our, our knowledge of the leagues and having watched games in various leagues, knowing like, okay, if a player plays like this in whichever league it is, then that league is at this level and we know the kind of calibre of player that is they're up against and how that kind of compares to MLS. So a lot of it is on the eye. Um, having players who have maybe played in... Um, played say for example you're looking at a player in I don't know Chile um if you're watching a player in Chile and you see right okay well players x y and z have already come from Chile and Mm -hmm. played in the MLS and played to a certain level then you can use that as some like a benchmark in some respects as well so it's really about us developing our own knowledge of the leagues and knowing in ourselves like how these teams play and how the players and compare kind of in relation as a whole to MLS. I want to look talk about the Super Draft for a second. And you guys have had some excellent draft picks, uh, Miles Robinson, Julian Gressel, etc. Uh, and we hear cries every year, like, maybe we should get rid of the draft. And then some people say it's still essential and point to players like your guys as examples of that. What is the process like for that, where you're scouting at a very different level and format, uh, mostly collegiate players, and trying to bring them into a professional realm? 
Um, yeah, as I said, really, with the with the, even like when you're scouting other leagues, you can almost just look at the college in the same way in that it's mm. it's another league, um, and you have to be have an awareness of the players that they're up against um, in relation to their own performance. So a player can be really stand out, obviously, at that level, but you have to know that the player he's playing against um, the same level of a player in MLS. Um, for us, it's really just about having the knowledge of that and having the knowledge of previous players that have come and been drafted in MLS and done well and seeing how they performed back in college and being able to like make comparisons to that as well. Um, and again, it just comes down to having the experience of watching um, hundreds and hundreds of games from these competitions um, and maybe seeing, um, seeing players that have already made that, that jump and seeing how they progress. Specific uh, to Atlanta United, and we're talking here with Atlanta United's Lucy Rushton on expected value. You, as a club, are owned by Arthur Blank, who also owns the NFL's Falcons. You share a stadium, et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious how much you work with the Falcons. What sort of things have as each team and people with each team kind of t- learned from each other? Um, yeah, somewhat. Um, I have a good relationship with some of the guys at the Falcons, and it's... Um, uh, with, there's some crossover, but at the same time, there's also big differences because of, firstly, the way that the league is set up um, in terms of if you're scouting in in um, in American football, you know your pool of players in that you have the players that are coming out of America. Um, so right. they have a very definite pool of players to, to choose from. Um, and because of that, then the data that they're given access to is is again, very different to what we have access to. Um, For us, it's a worldwide project. um, Mm -hmm. And that makes it just considerably different in terms of how we have to scout, where we have to scout, how much time we put into certain things. But also say that level of data that we get in American football, they're given a lot of information in terms of um, in terms of each individual player and their profile, whereas we don't we don't get access to that. Um, obviously for all of the players in the world. So it's a completely different ball game in that respect. Um, and even within the day-to-day analytics, um, the, obviously the parameters are different, but there are certain rules and regulations, whereas like in American football, they're not allowed any kind of um, computer technology during the game. So okay. for them, the, the kind of need to provide feedback during the game and stuff is negated by, by league rules. Whereas us, you know, we're allowed to have an iPad in the in the dugout and stuff like that. So for us, the video side of things and the actual in-game analysis is very different to that. So whilst there's some crossover, it's 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 kind of we're pushed in separate directions by the nature of the leagues. That makes sense. You've been through a couple coaches already and you've been around hiring both of them in Tato Martino, Frank DeBoer this offseason. Uh, what is your onboarding like with a new coach as both sides try to figure out from an analytics and scouting standpoint how to work together? Um, I think for us, we have a very clearly defined um, kind of club playing style and philosophy. um, And we'll always kind of recruit um, and look for a manager who complements that. Um, And I think you've seen that really evidenced Mm -hmm. in in Tata's signing and and with Frank coming in. So for us, the, the try and kind of transition isn't too big because in effect we've we've kind of gone out and hired a manager who who fits with the profile that we're looking for and the philosophies that we've had as a scouting department so you know I can honestly say that in the in the time I've been here you know which is from the very start our 
our player profiles and what we're looking for positionally have have very have, you know changed absolutely minimally um, in that period, and that's that's with a managerial change, um, and that's because we have clearly defined kind of ways of doing things and ways we want to play. Um, so for us, that onboarding process isn't too um, isn't too kind of damaging, or it doesn't vary things too much. Whereas I've been at clubs um, previously where maybe you get a new manager and it completely changes the profile of player you have to scout for because their profile of player is completely different and their way of playing is completely different. Um, but that's that's definitely not the case here. Atlanta started pretty slowly this season, one win through six games. Now you're in first place in the East. Kind of an on-the-field question, just from, from your perspective from up high, what have been the keys to Atlanta's turnaround this year? Um, you know what, I think obviously we had the managerial change and we had some player overturn as well in the off-season. Um, and I think it just takes a bit of time to, to adjust um, and for, for new players to come in and for a new manager to get his ideas across and for players to, to learn how to play in that new system and that new that new kind of way of playing. Um, and so I think it was just really a period of adjustment. Um, you know, we've also always been really confident that, um, that the results would come. Um, because uh, we have faith in in the coaching staff and in the players that we have here. Um, so I think it was more of just a matter of time and players really starting to understand and take on the, the manager's principles. So you played in England, you worked in the front office in England. Uh, what are some of the differences in how, we'll just say, U.S. soccer and English football approach uh, the numbers and analytics in the sport? Um, I'd probably say that in the over here in the states it's it's somewhat more important because of the league rules and regulations salary cap and everything it really puts a a stronger emphasis on having to find value for money um and look whilst that's important in in any league it's extra important over here because we literally have a, a defined cap um so for us being able to to use data and use analysis to really find value for money is is more of the drive um whereas i don't think that's such a big kind of factor in european football um obviously because they just don't have those restraints um so i'd say that we use it more in that way and obviously in mls as well if we're ever recruiting mls players you have a lot of um salary kind of information presented as well which right. just adds a whole new different dimension to to data and what you can do with it you can really start looking at efficiencies and kind of value for money and things like that, which you can only do with MLS players because you just have no knowledge of, of the salaries of, of any other players in the world. Um, so for us, that's that's a big part of it and something that we didn't really do in England because you just don't have the, the ability to do it. But I'd definitely say that just using data to find maybe, say, under kind of, not underperforming players, but undervalued players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big drive of of the data kind of side of things over here. Where along the process does the salary factor come in? So you know, let's say whether it's through video, whether it's through data, uh, you know, you unearth a, a player, or a couple of players. At mm-hmm. some point, obviously, you have to figure out: can you afford him? How does he fit into uh, the cap structure? So, at what point in the process does the the salary part become a factor, and then how do you finagle that the rest of the way? It becomes a factor, really quite early on because obviously i mean and especially with 
kind of high top earners like DPs and stuff, mm-hmm. you really need to know if you've got the the room in your in your roster to accommodate that player. Um, and it may be more of a long term thing that you're looking for, but at that stage you still want to know okay where do we see this player fitting in and where's his actual attainability um so right at the start you're really kind of like looking at even if a vague picture of kind of like where he would fit into the roster it's really as you get further on then you start in the nitty-gritties of the actual the actual salary and, and you know we're fortunate enough here to have um to have a guy in house who deals purely with that and with the the numbers and the number crunching and seeing how players can fit into the roster and how the roster needs to be manipulated to to accommodate a certain player um so we're very fortunate we can pass a lot of that on to him um and say that's that's very much his field and his area of special uh, speciality so say so we pass that on and uh, he looks after that Talking with Lucy Rushton, Atlanta United's Head of Technical Recruitment and Analysis here on Expected Value. Lucy, I want to get into kind of your path to where you are today. Obviously, you're from England, uh, grew up in Reading, worked for Reading before you joined Atlanta. Uh, What was the motivation or reason to make this move to the U.S.? And kind of what was the reaction of family, friends back home when you tell them, "Here's, here's my next big career move? Feels like ages ago now. It was three and a half years. Um, at the time, um, uh, I was I was maybe looking for my next kind of project. I'd been at Reading a long time, um, and I'd had fantastic times there and, and a, a great kind of eight years. But I felt like I needed something to to develop me personally and to try something new. Um, and I heard about this opportunity um, at Atlanta and. As soon as kind of I'd spoken to to Darren and maybe seen and understood the the kind of drive of the club and where it was going, seeing what they had in in place in terms of the stadium and the training facility, but also hearing about what their ambitions were and how they wanted to approach um, approach entering the MLS, it was really like a no brainer for me. Um, to be a part of this league, I think at this time is so exciting because the league is really growing. Um, I think you see that massively over the last few years, like the interest in MLS and the players that are now coming to the league has, has changed somewhat. And to be a part of the growth of the whole league, um, as well as the introduction of a, of a new team, um, it was really an opportunity too good to turn down. And I mean, from a scouting point of view, it doesn't really get much more exciting than being able to build a team from scratch, um, from mm-hmm. ground up. Um, literally having that blank canvas to work with, you you don't get that opportunity um, every day. Um, So for me, it was an opportunity I just, I I couldn't turn down. So you have a, if my research is correct, a master's in sports performance analysis from the University of Wales. You wrote a dissertation at Reading on notational analysis of soccer matches. And I say that just to say that it seems like uh, you've had your eye on this career path for a while. What set you on that path what pointed you this direction into a a soccer front office um yeah it was probably that it was probably that that kind of note um that notation i done at reading university all those years ago um and it was for my 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 final year kind of dissertation um and one of my lecturers was actually involved in doing some notation um at the time for her phd and so she kind of suggested it as a an avenue that i looked at as well um, which I did. Um, and naturally from there, um, I had an interest in, in that side of things and um, was spoken to about 
then potentially going to to the University of Wales Institute Cardiff to do the Masters in Sports Performance Analysis. Um, and really from that moment on, um, that was my my the way that I could see a career for me in football. Um, I've always been passionate about football like my whole life. It's literally just been everything I've known. Um, so for me to find that avenue of um, where I could work in it professionally, um, it was it was exciting to me, but also the, the data side of things and the analysis side of things and watching games was something that I just had a big interest in. So the two kind of fit really naturally, but it was definitely like, I didn't know this career existed really mm. until, until kind of I started say that dissertation process and then went to, to do my master's and kind of got some, some work experience. Um, and it was really during that work experience that I realized it could actually be a career. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of from then on, it was, it was the dream. So you played with, Reading for several years, won a league title, made the FA Cup semis. Uh, what sort of advantages, factors from that playing career help you out in this role? Uh, well, firstly, I must point out I wasn't playing when we made like the FA Cup final and all of that, or the FA Cup semis. That was I was I was in the analyst at the club there. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I played a lot when I was younger and all through my youth um, and my adult career. And I think um, for me, like having had some playing experience and whatever level that's at, um, I think sets you up because you understand the dynamics of, of the game. Um, you understand the things that you can't see in data, the things that you can't see from watching games, the dynamics of being a teammate, um, the dynamics of just the environment of the game, the dressing room. And you realize how important those aspects of the game are as well as just, uh, how a player plays or how they perform statistically. Um, so that side of it helps. Um, but my experiences with, with Reading in kind of the competitions and the success we had there, um, again, I think just being part of that team um, and being part of that winning culture um, and knowing what it takes and what the culture feels like to be successful um, has really kind of just kind of put me in, stood me in good stead kind of going forward. You've said in an interview I read that being a woman, my opportunities to get into professional soccer were limited to begin with, end quote. So obviously we talked about the playing career helps. What other keys were there for you to kind of break through in this role, you know, almost a glass ceiling of sorts as a woman? Mm -hmm. I think um, really just an ability to to have confidence um, and in, in talking the game. Um, and in knowing the game, I think I've I've always had to prove myself, as as everybody does coming into a professional mm-hmm. football setup. You know, you you're working with with managers who have got so much experience in the game and people who have been around the game for so long um, that anyone's going to have to come in and prove their knowledge. Um, and I think I was just able to do that, and I was able to demonstrate that um, you know, gender aside. Um, my knowledge of football is just as good as anybody else's. And so, you know, when you talk to me about football, uh, you don't see my gender. You just see that you're talking to somebody about football. And, you know, in a, in a way that then just leaves you like on a, on a level kill with any, with any guy. Um, so I just feel that probably a lifetime of just being immersed in the game is what gave me the opportunity to be able to, to really kind of sell myself and just excel in the in the industry because I had the confidence in myself and 
um, and in my knowledge of the game. Well, what do you say to people we ask, or we always wonder, you know, how can we diversify kind of, we'll just say the sports analytics industry uh, more, whether it's uh, race or gender or whatever. What are your suggestions to get more women in this field or two women looking to get into the field? That's a difficult one. I think for me, like, I, I come back to it in terms of women having the confidence to know that these careers and these career opportunities are out there, um, but also that they're not going to be discriminated against is a big one. I feel like a lot of women just assume that they can't work in this industry because there will be discrimination or because they're a woman and it's just not how it works. Um, and I feel like we just need to take a step back and actually look at the examples of people who who are doing it and examples of the clubs who who have taken women on and see that like those opportunities do exist if you put yourself in the right positions and you believe in yourself and you give yourself the the same kind of foothold that that your male counterpart or whatever would have then you're going to have just a good opportunity and i think you know from my experience I, it's interesting because i read a lot about gender inequality and um you know sexism and stuff in football and mm -hmm. you know my experience of my experiences have been very positive and i don't think that that side of it is shown um to women i feel like we we're very quick to show the negatives and to show the examples of where women have been discriminated against but we don't glorify the the examples and the clubs and the people in those clubs that have given women a chance and treated them just like they treat every other person and you know i speak for the managers that all the managers that i worked with you know at reading um are included in that you know the staff at reading you know nick hammond director of football there who who you know gave me my opportunity when i hadn't worked in um in a first team professional setting you know these people are clear examples of people who are willing to see beyond any kind of gender or cultural kind of um, diversity and, and just take you for for the skill set that you have. And I think we need to do more and do better to kind of publicize those examples. Any other just kind of general advice? I'm sure you could ask, like I do, people looking to get into the industry. How do I break in? What do I need to study or be able to do? What's kind of your general go-to advice for people trying to break in from a skills or experience standpoint? Yeah, for me, this, the experience one is, you just said the word there, the experience is vital. Um, you know, having having the background and the degree and everything is is obviously necessary, um, but it can be quite limiting if that's all you have. Um, because really when, when you go for a job in a football club or anything, they want to know that you can work in the industry and you can fit in there, uh, fit in with their club and and you're used to kind of the demands and the pressure um, that comes with it because, you know, they're very pressured environments. You know, it's competitive sports and everyone's there to win. So um, the environments can be very, very stressful at times and very competitive. And I think that people want to see that you can you can deal with that kind of situation and you can you can work in those those pressures and, and do the job. Um, having having a degree for me as as has almost been a tick box in my interviews. It's always almost been like, great, okay, got the degree, like, great, but what do you know about football? Um, mm. And and how can you fit in and work in a club environment? Um, so for me, my advice would always be to to back up whatever you're doing study-wise 
with that firsthand experience and and just building contacts as well and, and meeting people in the game and and just getting yourself immersed in the culture. We're talking with Lucy Rushton of Atlanta United here on Expected Value. I'm going to finish up, Lucy, with a few kind of quick hitters, just some fun stuff to finish things off here. Uh, how has life been, have you adjusted to life in the South? What's What's been the biggest surprise to you uh, moving down to Atlanta from the UK? Biggest surprise is probably just how friendly the people are down south, <laughs> uh, which is is a known commodity apparently, but you just don't yep. realise how friendly they are. Um, and probably the biggest surprise is, is they put fried chicken in what English people would call a scone, um, <laughs> yeah. which I think is called a biscuit over here. Um, mm-hmm. that, that it just blows my mind every time. <laughs> what? I know. What's the favourite food that you've discovered in the south? I mean, it's. I know that the, the for the southerners, it's that. It's mm-hmm. it's the fried chicken in a biscuit. Like that yeah. is that is their all time favorite. Um. So yeah, I'd have to go with that one. Yeah, that's that's tough to beat for sure. Uh, <laughs> for, for whatever reason, what is your favorite number and why? Twelve, straight off twelve. Yeah. Um. Because my um. Because my my hero footballer growing up, Jamie Curtin, um, who played for Reading. Uh, he wore number 12, okay. so it's just become my thing. Yep. And so you took care of the next question, which was your favorite soccer player growing up. Uh, what's uh, the best? Yeah. There you go. What's the, yeah, what's your best or favorite game that you've seen in person? Oh, oh, that is a good one. The best one for me <laughs> probably has to be, um, it has to be Nottingham, uh, Reading versus Nottingham Forest. Um uh-huh where we basically we won we won promotion to the Premier League um uh, so yeah it, it it was the game that clinched our it, it clinched our, our promotion and you just don't get better than that so yeah it has to be that game and finally what's a kind of a how did I get here moment that you've had in your career where you know you catch yourself and you just can't believe that you've gotten to this point whether it's you know talking with someone or an experience or whatever what's a moment like that that you've had whether it's with Reading or Atlanta or anything um, yeah, probably being at Reading when um, uh, I was in the dressing room at half time of a game against Liverpool um, and was asked like, you know, three things that we could do in the second half that would um, that would help win us the game. Um, mm. And, you know, you're talking about impacting, impacting a Premier League team um, against, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world um and you're giving advice which was then fed back to the players um on you know things that we can do to to go out and win in the second half and that's uh you know that was a real kind of like wow moment um in terms of actually impacting a game at that level yeah so i'd say that it's a good thrill to kind of end on here so lucy rushton atlanta united head of technical recruitment and analysis thanks for joining us here on expected value Uh, thank you so much for having me Back in the True Media Network studios, I'm Paul Carr, joined by Albert Larcada, True Media's Senior Director of Business Development and Data Science. Albert, what did you take away from the interview with Lucy? Yeah, all very good. Uh, Lucy's super sharp, really, really, really good. Um, I guess the number one thing I thought of after listening was the the angle she mentioned about how, uh, I think your question was about the differences between football and soccer. Um, meaning NFL and soccer. It's it's almost a weird thing to say, but the NFL has a pretty big structural advantage in terms of recruitment, just in terms of knowing the, the 
actual players that you're trying to sign. You know, it's known for if you work in soccer as an analyst, it's pretty obvious to you, but they're quite literally tens of thousands of potential players you could be recruiting to bring onto your team, which, you know, half the battle is just getting that number down to a manageable size to know who are the real people who you can, you know, afford and are at the talent level that you want and the position you want and all that. Um, takes quite a bit of work to even get to that point where you're down to hundreds of players. In football, it's pretty clear who your talent pool is. If you're drafting, it's college juniors, college seniors. You know, you you have a pretty good idea of of uh, who you're looking at. And even in free agency, you know, there's only dozens or so of players at that position that you're looking to fill. It's not like you have to scour the ends of the earth to to find them. So, although NFL is quite hard to analyze once they're on the field and get the value of them. Um, quite a big uh, advantage that maybe we don't think about enough that at least the player pool that you're looking at is right there in front of you, unlike in soccer. Yeah, that's a good point. We know the globalness of soccer and the volume of players is far greater than the NFL's player pool. You've got a few hundred college players who all played you know, very roughly the same skill level, and that's still so difficult to project. Multiply that times a broader range of leagues and styles, and it's easy to understand, I think, why soccer teams miss more. You're factoring in cultural and language differences on top of everything else. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the miss rate in soccer is probably much higher than other sports, but yeah, that's... The variability is just crazy compared to other sports. One thing I like that she talked about is how she played at a relatively high level, second division in England, and how she was able to use that experience as she transitioned to the front office. And I know that sounds like an obvious thing to do, but my, my takeaways were kind of twofold. One, the ability to understand both analytics and scouting is going to become ever more crucial as the two groups work closer and closer together. Not that you have to know what everything that the other group is doing. If I'm a scout, I don't have to know the algorithms or how the models work. If I'm on the analytics side, I don't have to you know, fully understand how to see a player's hip movement and then how that affects his mobility or something. But you've got to at least understand the process and the reasoning behind the other side. And secondly, use your experience to your benefit. You know, She used her playing experience to transition into a front office job. Everyone's got a unique history and abilities. And I have an extensive media background, which I use to help tell analytical stories succinctly. You've worked in academia and media, and you're good at bridging the gap between those two. We all have something. Use it to your advantage. I know I felt this way at least. Sometimes I've been hesitant to highlight my skills that I've built up because they're just second nature to me. And it took me a little time to realize that, hey, this skill set I built up in media world is something I can use to my advantage. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's good to be a jack of all trades, but at some point it's good to have a solid background in one or two things that are kind of always in your back pockets pull out in various situations. All right. Thanks, Albert. That wraps things up for the second episode of Expected Value. Thanks again to Atlanta United's Lucy Rushton for being our guest. Over the next couple weeks, we'll talk to Michael Lopez, the NFL's Director of Football Data and Analytics, to see how the league is using this next generation of data. And we'll speak with the current Major League pitcher to learn about his process and how he uses analytics. Then we're off to the Nessus Conference in Boston the last weekend in September, so give us a shout if you're headed to that. And if you have any guest suggestions or feedback, please email us, expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. That's T-R-U-MediaNetworks.com. Or reach out on Twitter publicly or via DM at True Media Sports or me at Paul Carr. As always, we appreciate it if you'd spread the word however possible, social media, digitally, whatever the method might be. And of course, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. 
On behalf of Albert Larcata and everyone here at True Media Networks, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again for listening to Expected Value. Thank you.